Hi, this is Noel Serrano with the Gala Lighthouse. Today we're going to talk about David, a man after God's own heart. Most men do one thing well and call it enough. King David did many things well and was usually ready and eager to do more. David's convictions became apparent to his family and friends early in his life. While visiting an Israeli military camp, David was horrified to see the Philistines' champion, Goliath, arrogantly challenge the Israelites, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together, 1 Samuel 17.10. No Israelite dared face the giant. This situation infuriated David. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? He demanded, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 1 Samuel 17.26 The events that immediately follow become legend. In a 40-year span, he controlled an empire that stretched from Egypt to Mesopotamia, a man of many talents. He was a shepherd, a poet, a musician, a warrior, and statesman, and an administrator who set a standard for the later kings of Israel and Judah. As the youngest of eight sons of Jesse, his job was to tend sheep. Shepherding meant lonely vigils, as well as opportunities to come to know God in an intimate relationship that developed throughout David's life. The story of David's ascent to the crown began rather unceremoniously. It all started when God sent Samuel to anoint a replacement for King Saul. Saul had disqualified himself to rule. God decided on another man, young David. God directed Samuel to go to the abode of Jesse, where he would anoint a king from among Jesse's sons. Samuel did as he was told, then began to take stock of each son. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. 1 Samuel 16.6 Samuel reasoned the way so many of us do. He was certain that Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, with his confident bearing, height, and impressive good looks, was the one God would choose. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God, the Lord, looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7 to God, the heart, a person's innermost motivation and attitude is of prime importance. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word, Isaiah 66, 2. Eliab's regal appearance didn't qualify him to become Israel's next king. David's heart did. One by one, Jesse's sons came before Samuel to determine who was to be king. And in the midst of his brothers and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, 
1 Samuel 16, 12, 13. From these humble beginnings came Israel's greatest king. David's early training had taught him to herd sheep. Now God would teach him to lead a nation. After his anointing as king, David returned to his flocks, and it was from there that he visited his brothers on the Philistine battlefield and witnessed Goliath's challenge. When David asked what would happen to the man who slew his this unsufferable braggart, someone reported David's words to King Saul, and the king sent for him. David wasn't intimidated by Israel's king or the enemy giant. He recounted how he had killed a lion and a bear that had threatened his family's sheep. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 1 Samuel 17.36 Carrying only his staff, David marched forward to meet the giant, stopping only to select five smooth stones from a brook. When Goliath saw how small young David was, he mocked him. Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? Come to me and I will give you your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. Samuel 17.43-44 David's response was fearless. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come before you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field. After David killed Goliath, King Saul required David to live with him in his palace as a military commander. He proved a loyal and wise leader. However, after a campaign in which Israel had again soundly defeated the Philistines, the people of Israel welcomed back Saul, David, and the army. When Saul heard the women singing that Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, he grew envious. David served under Saul's jealous rages. The king tried several times to kill David, but to no avail. David found himself forced to become a fugitive, an outlaw. However, God used Saul's persecution of David to forge leadership qualities in him. From the anxieties and turmoil he suffered, David developed faith, resourcefulness, and determination. David first fled to Nob, where he stocked provisions and obtained Goliath's sword from the priest. From Nob, David fled to Gath, in Philistine territory, where he would be safe from Saul. At Adullam, he gathered around him other disaffected members of the Israelite society, the nucleus of a formidable fighting force. When David returned to Judah, Saul heard about Amalek's aid to David. Saul ordered 85 priests from Nob killed for Ahimelech's presumptuousness 
in assisting David. Only one of Hamilech's sons escaped, and he joined up with David. David heard that the Philistines were harassing Kelia, a town of Judah. With God's help, he defeated them. Yet the ingrates of Kelia contrived to turn David and his 600 men over to Saul. So David fled into the wilderness of Ziph. David, with his little band, when Saul entered a cave to cover his feet or relieve himself, as some Bible versions word it, the very cave in which David was hiding, David's men urged him to slay his pursuer. This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Instead, David restrained his men and crept close enough to cut off a corner of Saul's robe. An unwitting Saul left the cave and rejoined his soldiers outside. David then revealed himself at the mouth of the cave. Showing the corner cut from Saul's robe, David pleaded with Saul to stop pursuing him. Therefore, let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. Saul was momentarily conscience-stricken. He admitted his depravity in his attempts to murder David, and that David had indeed served faithfully and righteously. Saul asked David to swear to him that when he became king, he would not destroy Saul's descendants. David agreed and kept his promises. Saul's change of heart did not last. He again tried to hunt down and kill David. While Saul was encamped with 3,000 soldiers, David asked Abishai, brother of Joab, to accompany him on a daring nighttime maneuver that took them to the heart of Saul's camp. Together, the two crept into the camp and saw Saul lying in a deep sleep. Abishai begged David, to let him take Saul's spear and run him through to the ground. But David refused. Do not destroy him, for those who can stretch out his hand against the Lord shall be guiltless. And as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. But please take now the spear and the jug of water, that are by his head and let us go. 1 Samuel 26, 9, 11. When David and Abishai had traveled a safe distance from the camp, David called, as did his son, Prince Jonathan. The day was infamous in Israel's history. David's anguish over the deaths of Saul and Jonathan is a model of righteous grief. The words of his lament, how the mighty have fallen, have echoed down through the ages. David returned to Judah, where in a public ceremony he was anointed king over Judah. He reigned in Judah for seven and one-half years. Israel's northern tribe did not yet receive him, for Abner, commander of Saul's army, had Saul's son installed as king. The rivalry between supporters of the two monarchs soon heated up, played out by Abner and Joab, David's general officer. In a battle between their two armies, Abner killed one of Joab's brothers. 
Then Joab retaliated by killing Abner. David mourned the valiant Abner's death, just as he had mourned for Saul and Jonathan. Shortly thereafter, Ishbosheth was murdered. David mourned his death and had the murderers executed. This showed David's concern for fairness. He would not let unjust deeds go unpunished. The way was clear now for David to assume sole power of Judah and Israel. He was anointed king over the reunited nation. Shortly thereafter, David captured Jerusalem and made it his capital. He reigned over all of Israel for 33 years, following seven in Judah, a total of 40 years. The kingdom thrived under David's rule. Things went well for him militarily, administratively, and spiritually. With God's help, David experienced one military victory after another. David's material power was staggering. His kingdom included the Mediterranean in the west, the Sinai Desert in the south, much of Transjordan on the east, and the Euphrates on the north. God was with David. He enjoyed much success in his roles as ruler and warrior. God's subsequent punishment of David was for adultery and murder, brought dire consequences. David had greatly prospered. But after this watershed incident, his troubles markedly increased. Yet David's repentance, recorded in Psalm 51, has stood as an inspiring example throughout the generations. The next major episode in David's life included his two sons, Amnon and Absalom. Amnon raped his sister, Tamar. In retaliation, Absalom killed Amnon and fled. Absalom was eventually brought back to David by Joab. Although David allowed Absalom to return, they were not reconciled for two years. Afterward, Absalom began an active campaign of subversion against his father, flattering and promising the citizens everywhere they had ever wanted. Absalom eventually won them over. His father David once again had to flee for his life. The stage was set for a final confrontation between Absalom's forces and David's army. Absalom's soldiers under Amasa were no match for David's seasoned warriors. The slaughter was unbridled, and Absalom fled for his life. As he absconded, his hair got caught in the boughs of a tree. The mule he was riding left him dangling from the tree. While he struggled to free himself, his pursuers caught and killed him. After Absalom's death came a power vacuum. It took some time for David again to be accepted by the people of Judah, and even longer before Israel accepted him. It wasn't until Joab killed Amasa that Judah and Israel were again joined under David's leadership. Considering such problems, some might wonder why God thought so highly of David. Part of the answer is that, in spite of his lapses, David usually wholeheartedly sought God's will. He did not withdraw from the responsibilities of life. The biblical record shows that the more conditions around David deteriorated, 
he was still that former shepherd boy who became king. And he was a man after God's own heart, as we all strive to be, in alignment and in the will of Almighty God. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for covering us. We thank you, my Lord, because you are our protector, you are our guide, you are our fortress. We ask you, my Lord, that you continue to bless us and bless our homes. Protect our children, my Lord. Cover us, Father. Send down your spirit, my Lord, that will be our paracletus, our guide. In the name above all names, we ask this. Amen and amen. This is Noel Serrano with the Gala Lighthouse. God bless you all.